Hi everyone, Bedroth here, and once again I have a little bit of top of the show business to go over. First of all, thank you for checking out the episode. This was a really fun one to record. Prof Jeff was a great guest and definitely contributed some expertise and some background that Ashut Kapow and I could not have brought to the show. This episode was actually recorded way back in March. It was one of the first episodes recorded. The sound quality does reflect that a couple of times. This was when I was still kind of getting used to how everything was going to work, but the commentary is really fun, songs are really great. It's actually kind of a different musical palette than uh, you may be used to from other episodes that we've done. I also forgot to shout out the episode of the BG Mania podcast that I listened to right around the time that Prof. Jeff and I decided that we were going to record this one, and that was their episode called The Sacred and Divine. That was episode number 137 from February 20th of this year, 2020, and I encourage you guys to check it out, especially if you like this topic. Uh, Brian and Frank really brought a lot of really cool tracks to the show, and we made a an effort not to repeat any of their work so that you could go and check out their show and hear some different music. Finally, I want to give a shout out to uh, Alex Messenger and uh, thank him for offering up the track from Doom Eternal that plays in this episode. So thank you, Alex, for sending it to me. And anyway, that's enough of me rambling. Thank you guys again and enjoy the show. Greetings, gamers. I'm Bed Roth. And I'm Chip Cabal. And I'm Prof Jeff. And you're listening to Very Good Music, a VGM podcast. Yeah. We are recording on this 15th day of March 2020, although you're probably not hearing this episode for another several months because we already have so much in the bag. But I could not wait to record today with one of my best friends who I've already talked about on the show before and who's contributed several great tracks. Prof. Jeff is with us, a native of the Dallas, Texas area, up currently from Austin, where he is 
Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're studying and why you are situated for this particular topic? Yeah, I study religion. I have uh, three master's degrees, and I've taught intro to comparative religion at our local university, down where I'm from. All right. So, yeah, he knows what he's talking about, folks. And why don't you talk to us a little bit about that track that you opened us up with today? Cool. So when I teach Intro to Comparative Religions, one of the interesting questions we cover is what religion is. And when we, Prof uh, Bedroth and I sat down to record this episode, I was thinking of what religion is and what it could be and how our imaginations could shape the lives we live. And incongruously, like one of the ideas I got was mystic ruin from Sonic Adventure. Whether ruins being mystic are really religious or not, I mean, maybe, yeah. I mean, a lot of religions have had places of worship that are now ruins, either from war or just time and demographic shifts. Um, So this track is Mystic Ruin from Sonic Adventure 1998 Dreamcast, developed by Sonic Team, published by Sega, and it was composed by Fumi Kumutani. Yep. There were uh, several composers, actually, on this soundtrack, as with a lot of the, the later Sonic games. This one isn't too late, of course. You said '98, I believe. Yeah. And so, yeah, still, still in the '90s, but definitely in that sort of intermediate era of Sonic. Um, Shukapow, you were talking to us a little bit before the show about uh, modern Sonic music. Yeah, Shukapow is still here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is your perspective on the general perception of modern Sonic music? Well, a lot of people don't really like it because uh, a lot of the music has like lyrics and uh most of the time they're pretty cheesy lyrics like (laughs) rapping about knuckles (laughs) yeah you definitely have to be in the right mindset for it uh i think it i mean lyrics in video game music are polarizing in general um this particular song doesn't technically have lyrics it does have vocals but they lend themselves i think to the atmosphere in the stage which is pretty different from a lot of the the sonic music at this time one of the composers on this soundtrack is Jun Sinaway, who was one of the directors of Sonic Music. He got his start in Sonic and Knuckles and um, Sonic 3, along with a lot, a lot of other composers. So I was mentioning before we started recording that that kind of makes him the torchbearer or like the middleman in the Sonic Relay, because it started out with remember his name, um, the original Sonic composer. Oh, God. Masaru Nakamura. Was the, was the composer of Sonic 1 and Sonic 2. And those are the only games he composed, but he actually was a musician, like, for a living. And then a lot of other people took over for Sonic 3, including Jun Sinaway. And Jun Sinaway went on to influence a lot of the Sonic music moving forward. Um, and so he was, uh, this was sort of the passing of the guard. But to get back to the topic and how the Mystic Ruin stage ties in with it, yeah, I really, I felt the, the whole sort of, the, the tribal, sort of the ancient, like, mythic or mystic um, religious setting in this stage with the, the hand drums, with the, the, the vocals. From a musical standpoint, I really liked halfway through the piece when the when the string instrument came in. I thought that was really cool. It's a Xenoblade instrument. <laughs> yeah, you always associate strings with Xenoblade. Um, but it, uh, I don't know, it didn't, I guess... This kind of boils down what a lot of people don't like about modern Sonic music. It didn't feel like a Sonic track to me. Maybe that's because I grew up with 1, 2, and 3. And, I mean, Mania is my favorite soundtrack from Sonic from the last little years. And, um, I mean, that's just my style of Sonic music. This is good, 
I liked it. It's very good. It makes the cut for the episode. But it doesn't feel like Sonic music to me. Um, whether that's a good or bad thing is for other people to say. So, so you talked a little bit about uh, whether something mystic and ancient like this counts as a religion. What would it be? What, what would we call it if we didn't call it a religion? Oh, shucks. I hate that question. Um, <laughs> spirituality is the go-to term nowadays, but it yeah. could also be um, path is a word. You, you have to say it really pretentiously. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you can yeah. say path. You have to say path. <laughs> I'm doing a little hand motion and making a face while I'm doing it. Um, <laughs> worldview, there's also like viewpoints and perspectives. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean we think about yeah. like... Life um, stance, that's the other word. With, with ancient religions, I feel like we use the word mythology a lot with things like Greek mythology, Roman mythology, Egyptian mythology, uh, Meso- Mesoamerican mythology. Yeah. Um, but... A mystic ruin like this, I don't know, it's, it feels sort of in between. Yeah. Well, it's also a special case because in the... So, one of the reasons why this doesn't sound like a Sonic tune, um, we're actually going to do a retrospective episode later called Sonic Tunes Rise of Lyrics. Uh, <laughs> nice. And, yeah, it's <laughs> not a real thing. Well, now we actually have to do that. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, it's it's an overworld theme. And okay. so, really, you're just walking from one stage to the next as Sonic. Um, okay, sort so of this in the is like si- an area, yeah, like a like a map area, mm-hmm. basically kind of thing. Okay, yeah, sort of in the same way that um, Princess Peach's Castle doesn't really sound as much like a Mario game. Now that I think about it, Even, although I think it sounds more like a Mario tune than this sounds like a Sonic tune. Okay, fair point, fair point. But so this is like a hub world. Yeah, kind of it's place. a hub world. Okay. Um, it's the sort of second big hub world you go to. I could definitely see that. It's got a little bit more of an atmospheric feel to it than a yeah. lot of a lot of mainstream Sonic music, which really, no matter what era it's from, there's some kind of drive behind it, whether it's the mm-hmm. melody, the rhythm, the vocals. And this one was just more, it was more chill when I associate with Sonic, but that definitely fits for a hub world. Um, I feel like we're going to talk quite a bit about a lot of things. So mm-hmm. we're going to kind of pepper it in throughout the episode. But basically, in this episode, we're going to be talking about different religious ideas and how they can be... Um, conveyed in video games, how they can influence the games, how the music kind of relates to that. We'll talk a little bit about the instrumentation of some of the tracks, but a lot of them, they're just either about a god or a goddess, they're about a place of worship, um, something along those lines. And my track, my first track that I'm going to open up with, is actually one of those places of worship. And as I cut my original list down from about 25 to the five I'm going with, this track never ever left the list. Because, Prop Jeff, I knew that you specifically would really like the title of this one. This is from the game Arcana, which is an old dungeon crawler for the SNES. Uh, It was called Cardmaster in Japan, I believe. Um, It was published in 1992 by HAL Laboratory. This was composed by Juni Shikawa and Hirokazu Ando. Kirby. (laughs) And the name of the track is Shrine for the Worship of Chaos.
right, so we are back from the Shrine for the Worship of Chaos. <laughs> and uh, everything's all a mess, the room's all a clutter. Um, but no, so seriously, when, when, I, when I looked up this track, I was listening to a lot of different things on YouTube. There were a lot of comments on YouTube about how this sounds like Kirby. Chukapau, <laughs> uh, you actually made a comment uh, to, to that effect during the song. What were you saying it sounds like? Um, yeah, uh, I said that it sounds sort of like the darker aspect of Kirby 64, like the Zero Two fight and stuff. There's definitely a lot of stuff in Kirby that's dark. I actually have a, um, a playlist I'm trying to build up called Nightmare Fuel, and it's just Kirby boss music. <laughs> because you go through these Kirby games, and it's all like happy-go-lucky little cartoon puffball guy. And then you get to the end, and it's like this Cthulhu-like being <laughs> that can destroy time and space. <laughs> uh, Gosh, I love Kirby. Oh, yeah. I need well, to play more Kirby. So, fun fact. In this game, two uh, like Kirby-like figures actually appear in the opening cutscene of the game. Um, and there was an Arcana-related Easter egg in Kirby Mass Attack. There was a mini-game in that game called Kirby Master, and the title screen and interface use Arcana-style graphics. Um, this song evidently plays in the Mina Temple and Stavery Tower areas of Arcana, which it doesn't really look like my kind of game. Um, it's one of those first-person dungeon-crawl RPG games where you like see one room at a time. If there's a monster in it, you fight it. If there's a treasure in it, you can get it. And you kind of have to make your way around these mazes. And I just never really cared for that style of game. But um, I like to I like the music, and I like Hal Laboratory. Um, Ishikawa and Ando are two of my favorite composers, and I know they're two of yours, uh, Shukapel. And it was cool to hear them doing something that wasn't Kirby. Prof Jeff, any thoughts about the, about the music, about the whole the idea of the Shrava Shrine for the worship of chaos? Yeah, so one thing that might be apparent from for our listeners from the last comment is I actually have no training in music, and so I'm going to be <laughs> talking about everything but music during this episode because I'm actually illiterate. Um, <laughs> but you listen to a lot of music. And that is true. It's you, great. You played the trombone when I met you, so you know a little bit that was quite a while more ago. than the average person about uh, that music. But yeah, you can you can you can tell us how you feel, you know how, how you like music. Yeah, I mean it's it's really interesting because it's a strikingly not chaotic compared to say the opening theme for Crazy Bus, for example. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, really, when I think of the order, like the powers of chaos, I think of you know Warhammer, Blood for the Blood God, like the chaos deities. But really, I think if you think about this song as a kind of like general having a general JRPG like dungeon crawling feeling, it's really about the attempt to make order out of chaos. Uh, there's actually a whole book written about how religion is world building, and it's about how sort of we build models of the world in our heads, and how a lot of ways is of how a lot of functions of religion are about us trying to figure out where we are and what we're doing here. Well, yeah, I was I was talking to my dad about this recently, and. Um... Uh, not to get too deep, but I have come to the realization over the past uh, several years. Uh, by the way, we are not going to be promulgating any religious ideas. We are also not going to be cutting down any religious ideas in this episode. This is strictly a theoretical, scholarly look at how this kind of manifests itself in video game music. I come from a Christian background. Um, I still claim that for myself. I am a lot more sort of, I guess, mystic in my um, approach to that and how loosely I hold those ideas than some other people that I know and am related to. That said, that's my disclaimer. But I was talking to my dad about how I realized, so the way that we 
perceive the world through our senses scientifically is just our eyes, our, our nerve endings, our taste buds, our eardrums, they take in what our brain can understand of the world around us. So really when I'm seeing red, what I'm seeing is a certain wavelength of light that isn't uniformly red. Uh, it's just that's how my eyes perceive it. And that understanding basically led me to the conclusion that everything by definition, is a metaphor. Even if it scientifically, it's what all of us kind of universally perceive, that makes it a constant from the human perspective. But there are other perspectives out there that aren't human, and that means it's not a universal concept. So if even scientifically speaking, everything is a metaphor, of course, religion as an organized way of thinking, perceiving, and describing the world, that's what it's going to do. It's going to take that chaos and try to make it even more digestible so that civilization can thrive because we all have the cosmic stuff out of the way and we can focus on day-to-day -day things. I said I wasn't going to get too deep, but there I was. Yeah, you started. <laughs> yeah, so I was just going to say that it's definitely a common problem. We've actually been talking about, I mean, as a species, we've been talking about this for thousands of years. It's actually a big question in Indian philosophy and like East Asian Buddhist philosophy, but we're not going to get too deep. <laughs> right. I mean, that is your particular area of study, and it might come up at some point in the episode, but... For now, let's go ahead and uh, go from chaos to something a little bit different. Chukapau, what do you have for your first track of the evening? Son? All right, I have Forest Prayer Sanctuary from Mother 3. Cool. This was on the Game Boy Advance, and it was um, developed by HAL Laboratory and published by Nintendo only in Japan so far in 2006 and composed by Shogo Sakai. example of an instrument that we are going to hear a lot when the religion that is kind of being referred to is of the Christian variety. What instrument am I talking about? The organ. The organ. Yes, of course. This is a pretty little tune. Um, not really what I was expecting. I intentionally didn't listen to these tracks, even though you told me what you were going to be doing so I could make the track list. I liked it. What are your thoughts? I, I kind of used up my quota of words on the last recording. So. <laughs> Wait. If a church has multiple organs in it, then technically, isn't it an organism? <laughs> it's, oh, an or God. it's an organ system. Oh, That buddy. is a quite a funny joke. Leave the dad jokes to me. <laughs> that was good, though. That was good. Fist bump. All yeah. right. Um, yeah. So any thoughts just about the sound of it? Like, what does it bring up or into mind? Um, well, it's interesting. With the, I don't. It's hard to hear the forest in it, because there's so many religion tracks that use organs, and I had to sort of think, which organ tracks am I going to use? <laughs> and this, this one, it's nice. What what made this one stand out to you over others? I'm curious. 
I mean, I think a lot of it is the sedate, the cadence, and the way it sort of has a very, has a very soft but definite sort of rotating phrase. I don't know music terms. It's from the Mother series. <laughs> mm. Sometimes that's a... Yeah, uh, Kapow, for as young as he is, has a lot of series loyalty to some, some specific uh, games, which I think is what, what led him to some of the ones that he chose today. But um, this was a really, this was a good choice. We're definitely going to be hearing more organ tonight. And I, I do like what you said. It's, um, it, it uh, uh, talking to Jeff, I need to specify tonight because I have two people with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like what you said about how it's got a little bit of a softer sound than some of mm-hmm. the traditional religious organ music. Um, it does have a little bit more of a natural cadence, which I guess is more foresty uh, of a thing. Um, do you remember what... Uh, context this shows up in in the game like what does this have to do with the main story is there like an important thing that happens here um well it's between the crossroad area and sunshine forest near tasmilly village which is where uh lucas and his family come from okay i do remember playing that part of it and um in chapter one flint is required to visit and offer a prayer and that's how the that's how the game gets the player's name oh okay cool Flint is um, their dad, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is a really great game. It actually has uh, an almost religious level fan following. <laughs> a, a cult following, if you will. This entire uh, series. <laughs> yeah, it does. And Mother 3, I don't know why they're still sitting on this game. There are perpetual rumors about the fact that Nintendo supposedly has this done. I know there are completed fan ROMs of the game because I have played one. You're playing one now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fantastic story, and it just it goes so deep compared to a lot of other Nintendo games, and it really touches on some some major themes. And I wish they would bring it up over here. Hopefully, they will soon. But very nice choice. And that ends our uh, first round. Um, we'll mm-hmm. see if we actually get to all five rounds tonight, or if yeah. we have a little short. We'll see. Prof. Jeff, what mm-hmm. are you bringing to the class next? All right, so. One of the things that my students always think about when they come into religion classes is it's all going to be about light, fluffy. It's going to be a very sort of affirming experience. And it's going to be about a lot of, you know, I think you mentioned gods and goddesses and places of worship. And, you know, all that things people think about religion. And it's like, oh, it's what you do in the privacy of your own home. But it has a bit of a dark side, too, is that religion is also about things that you want to keep away from you. And so, um, for this, when we talk about religious places and things, I'm actually going to talk about hell right now, because that's how I roll. Um, (laughs) Not, no, not this one. Um, This one is actually called What the Heck from Earthworm Jim 1994, (laughs) for the Sega Genesis version, um, because I like the sound quality better. It was developed by Shiny Entertainment. This particular track was composed by Tommy Talarico, um, and he uses... um, an orchestral track called Night on Bald Mountain by Modest um, Mizurski. And it's actually based off of um, a witch's Sabbath is the original, according to Wikipedia, he was thinking about witches flying around on this sort of bare, barren mountain. Interesting. Um, But then the game track takes a term for the unexpected. All right, let's hear it.
Okay, um, shoot Kapow. What did you think of that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, I had forgotten just how great this track is. So, Prop Jeff, you teased us a little bit before we came in. Mm -hmm. Tell us what the heck is going on with this track. Um, do you mean in the story or in the soundtrack? In, in the game. Like, yeah. what, is, what is going on? Um, so, I can't, I want to say it's stage three. So, you go, the first stage is always the dumpster. I was actually really bad at this game. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know if anyone was actually very good. Yeah, at like my problem with everyone too is I love the soundtrack, I love the characters, but the gameplay is just too hard for me to really get into. It's it's weird. It looked really good for its time. It looked like a cartoon, basically, yeah. as close as you could get on the SNES. But because of that, it made some of the physics in the game really weird. It was hard to gauge like where objects were that you could actually yeah. interact with. Because everything was like hand drawn, basically. Yeah. But yeah, I do think this was level three. It was the planet Hell, which is ruled heck. by a uh, uh, heck over here. I've actually seen it both ways. But the planet Heck ruled by Evil the Cat. Yeah, Evil the Cat. Um, and you mentioned that on Bald Mountain, which we can talk about some of those connotations. But um, we actually referenced a composer a few episodes back called Chernabog <laughs> on um, one of our. Uh, on games we haven't played episode, I think. Yeah. Um, and so we've talked about that on Bald Mountain a little bit. What is up with that other part of the song? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that's really fascinating about religion is, like, the use of religious satire. And how even sometimes in certain scriptures, satire, stuff that's actually sort of satire, or at, le at the very least, like, sort of sarcastic humor, makes it into um, the tracks. And sort of that... A lot of religious historical stuff comes in conversation with other religions as the traditions grow. And this, what this track really fascinates me is that it's satire. First of all, for some reason, hell is not the most difficult place you can be in this game. <laughs> and that right. evil the cat is not the biggest evil in the game either, is that it's right. Queen Slug for a butt. Um, <laughs> if I remember it's correctly. True. Yeah, no, yeah. it is totally Queen Slug for a butt. Um, but also, like, <laughs> so you have Nile on Bald Mountain, but then it's elevator music yeah Jim that's what it into is an elevator yeah and the record scratches and it's elevator music yeah and what, so it's which is what talarico composed yeah and, and it's like what what is more horrifying is it some really 
awesome music that's like really scary or is it something that's dull and insipid <laughs> and repeats itself for all eternity while you're also in physical pain and not just because you're listening to the same song over and over again well and you also i think you're fighting like lawyers and bankers in this stage yes along with help yeah Spawn. yeah and i completely forgot all about <laughs> yeah. that and supposedly the screams in this track are the screams of evil's victims <laughs> yeah yeah people getting so, tortured and all yeah. that but it's 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 really fascinating, um, and it's like on one hand, of course, it is a joke, and it's just like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if instead of you know a big scary music, we had something that's just like really. But it's also kind of extra horrifying because there is like this sort of insipidness of the elevator music, yeah, and how it's just really it's devoid <laughs> of any. It's like it's almost. I mean, music. It's supposed to be supposed to sound like music. It but is. not actually be music. And, and the challenge is to make it something that isn't actually horrible to listen to while you're playing the game, but you can imagine that, oh, if I had to keep hearing this forever, yeah, it would get old. And that's where I think Talarico's talent comes in here. Um, definitely different than anything you, you would have heard from a Japanese composer at the time. It's very Western. Um, and the music is not great. It's not very good music, but I think that Mussorgsky is so awesome uh, and Talarico adapts him so well uh, on the Sega Genesis that it balances it out. Um, I happen to prefer the SNES version of a lot of soundtracks. I do think the Genesis has a, a certain charm and I think that on like funk and jazz and some types of rock, it really, it really shines. Um, I think that for this particular track, because of the classical influence, I like the SNES samples, but, um, I mean, the music portion of it actually is a little bit better on Genesis. So yeah, it's interesting for that. Well, I'm going to keep things retro and we are going to play a song for the first time on the podcast from the PC 98, mm -hmm. uh, the PC 98, Epson PC and DOS actually, this is from a game called Rusty. It was published in 1993 by C-Lab, also developed by C-Lab, that's the letter C hyphen lab, L-A-B. This game was composed by Masahiro Kajihara, Kenichi Arakawa, and Ryu Tokami. The name of the track is Mysterious Chapel.
So Rusty is a PC-98 game, as I mentioned. It has often been called a Castlevania clone, and this obviously includes the music. Uh, that had a lot of Castlevania-esque features to it. Um, like the music, though, the game apparently stands on its own. Uh, this is the music for Stage 3, which is a cathedral that Rusty enters on her way to the castle. Uh, she came here after being challenged to a fight by a character named Brian Gateau, a mysterious masked hunter who has been kidnapping girls by the Order of Bloody Mary, who is the second-in-command of the big bad, Count Monte Carlo, <laughs> who is apparently the Dracula of this game. Um, Gateau uh, was apparently a hunter, like Rusty, before being turned evil for reasons that are never explained in the game. Uh, he considers Rusty a rival in terms of skill, power, things like that. But yeah, the whole point of the game is Rusty is um, the main character, and she takes her whip and goes to this castle to try to fight this big, bad, like, demonic lord person. Holy water. <laughs> <laughs> and there's some there's some really great music here. Uh, you identified that lead instrument for the first half of the song, which is what? Harpsichord. Harpsichord. Lots of connotation to religious music, because a lot of early composers like Bach um, did a lot for the harpsichord, and Bach was unabashedly um, a Christian composer at the time. Um, he was also a genius of the keyboard, and um, uh, that wasn't really quite Baroque. It was kind of Baroque going into the classical era. era. Um, Bach sort of straddled that fence a little bit. And there were a lot of people that were like, well, I don't know if we really need to change anything. I mean, if it ain't Baroque, don't fix it, right? Oh, I was going to do that, yeah. <laughs> but no, this this is this is a really, really cool track. Um, when the harpsichord kind of gives way to that more like open feel, I don't know if this is what happens in the game, but it almost feels like she goes outside and things open up a little bit. And there was a riff um, about, about, at about the halfway point that you specifically talked about. Um so this and the Castlevania series are also about fighting, like, the hordes of hell. And, um, uh, sort of, where does, uh, where does Dracula and that sort of mystique come in, in, um, in a religious study? It's, it's mostly like an Eastern European thing, right? Yeah, um, I think, let's see, originally Dra Dracula got his name from his father, who was awarded the Order of the Dragon, but I think the Holy Roman <clears throat> Emperor at the time... Um, that is to say, okay. based on based in like Western Europe, mm -hmm. and so he was the son of the person of the son of the person who was the part of the Order of the Holy Dragon, so Dracula. Okay, um, gotcha. And the dragon symbolism itself, um, not sure. I think I want to say it's from something Indo-European about all the dragon slayers, like Saint George and like Siegfried and all that. Okay, um, gotcha. But also snakes, like snakes are cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> obviously snakes and dragons have yeah. a lot of. Uh, Christian religious connotation, uh, serpents Slick. from the beginning and yeah. dragons from the end. <laughs> yeah, and of course, yeah, that's the um, thing is that it kind of sort of came back into Drac Dracula's character. Yeah. Um, and sort of that middle ground between, you know, a human and a demon. And also, I mean, supposedly there's also sort of class uh, criticisms there. It's like, oh, it's just those rich people sucking the blood out of us poor working class. But oh, yeah. You know, that's the whole thing. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the song the song is very cool. I love how it takes it takes this sort of sanctuary kind of music and makes it sort of dynamic and action. So you have this. Yeah, I mean, I don't really. I'd have never heard a song like this in church, for example. Yeah, <laughs> very true, very true. Um, Shukapow, are you familiar at all with uh, like the PC ninety eight or any of those early like PC systems? No. 
it's I think it's a scene that we should really explore more. Um, these three composers I mentioned, Masahiro Kajihara, Kenichi Arakawa, and Ryu Takami, I think I've heard those names before because I've heard other podcasts do episodes about the PC-98 and other similar systems, and they're apparently like all big-name PC-98 composers, and I really want to explore this scene more. I feel like there's a lot of very good music there that we just don't really know about. I, th- I keep expecting you to say Masahiro Sakurai. <laughs> Oh, when I come, uh, Masahiro Kachihara. Yeah, I know. Kind of like uh, when I talked that one time about Yasunori Nishiki. <laughs> yeah, inside joke. Okay, so what have you got for us next? All right, now I have actual Castlevania. And <laughs> instead of bootleg PC 98 Castlevania. <laughs> All right, this is Castlevania Symphony of the Night, um, a game that is actually featured quite heavily on the Super Mario Bros. video game podcast. Okay, yeah, they, they come back to it a few times, yeah. This game has some, some really good music in it. Um, what track are you playing for us? All right, I have Requiem of the Gods. That was Requiem of the Gods from Castlevania Symphony of the Night, released in 1997, composed by Michiru Michiru Yamane. Yeah. (laughs) And it was released for the PlayStation. Can't find the developer. Most likely, it was published by Konami. Yeah. I don't remember who developed this one, but that's okay. We can can skip out on little details like that every once in a while. (laughs) Uh, this, especially that second half of the track, this is straight up church music. <laughs> it, it's definitely got an eerie quality to it, though. 
um, almost a, a harmony of dissonance, if you will. That's my age joke, sorry. Um, so, <laughs> so, we were talking about this during the track. I don't remember if this is the game that introduced Richter, or if uh, he's, like, reappearing in it, but, uh, Prof Jeff, you were saying, you, you, you think uh, Alucard is yeah. the main character. Well, he's the main character, yeah. I'm not, I didn't finish the game, but you played as Richter in the first stage, and then after that, you got Alucard for what I think is the rest of the game. Okay. Um, it might be like Castlevania 3, where you like rotate between the different characters, but I honestly don't know. We'll, um, we'll have to look into that maybe sometime. Um, as I mentioned before, I've never owned a PlayStation system, so I missed out on this one. I went straight from Castlevania 4 to the DS games and missed everything in between. Uh, from what I've heard about the N64 Castlevanias, I didn't really miss that much when it comes to Nintendo systems, but... Uh, most of the Tales games on PlayStation, the, like, yeah. series of... Yeah, there's only a few that have come out, especially in the States, on Nintendo consoles, but... Um, so, music-wise, uh, yeah, so we got some more organ here. What do you guys think? Why did, why did you choose this one and bump one of your other tracks? I don't know, because we played a lot of Chrono Trigger already. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, the... Um, the Cathedral track from Chrono Trigger was on my short list too, but then, yeah, we've, we've played a lot of that, and I'm sure we'll do a Chrono Trigger focus at some point, so... Yep, Just a bit too Chrono Triggered. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, Chrono Trigger... Daughter, bros. Chrono Trigger is not a super religious game. I mean, it has some religious aspects to it, but uh, Castlevania... did a video on how it retells the story of Jesus. Oh, yeah, you're right. I totally forgot about that. I think I sent that to you, too. Probably. Yeah. Um... But yeah, uh, so look into that. Maybe we'll link it in the show notes as kind of a Chrono Trigger shout-out for us, since that's kind of our brand. <laughs> um, but yeah, Castlevania is unabashedly a religious series of games. Um, what is the significance of Alucard? It's just Dracula spelled backwards. Yeah. But also, it's the son going up against his father, and they both like die and like come back to life sometimes. So you could, if you really wanted to be a nerd, you could probably like squeeze out some sort of like goth Gnostic myth out of it, but we're already running a lot of time over <laughs> Well, then why don't we just go ahead and jump to your next track. Sir. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wanted to, since we've had two organ songs in a row, I want to do just one more. Joking. Um, I want to do something that doesn't <laughs> sound like something you associate with religion. Um, unfortunately, this is not unfortunately, but this is another hell track because I'm just <laughs> like, like that right now. But um, really, it's because I've been playing, when I think of religion and I think of video games, I think of The Binding of Isaac by um, uh. Ed McMillan's series. Um, and this is Binding of Isaac Rebirth, slash um, also Afterbirth with the expansion. Like the, yeah, the expansion. Yeah. yeah, or Afterbirth Plus. Um, and there's in, all kinds of like in-game reasons as yeah. to like why, yeah, where the birth thing comes from. Yeah, and this is, 20, this is the 2014 um, sort of re-release of the original game. Um, and this song is by Ridiculon, a.k.a. Matthias Bossi and John Evans. And this is the song that plays during the shale stage, and it is called Duress.
All right, so that was duress. Hopefully I made it clear that I was saying that with two syllables, and it's not just about Isaac and a cute little piece of fabric. Um, so one of the things, there's two things that really sort of push the game, the, the song home for me. The first thing is just that I, it's like Mystic Ruin, actually. I remember getting to that level and hearing the music and suddenly feeling like I was in a new place. And that's something that I can't really describe in a technical way. But it's just one of the beautiful things about video game music in general. It's important to note that the stage is called Shale, which means earth in Hebrew. So the idea is that people would go under the earth when they die and you bury them. Like the underworld. Yeah, and it's very okay. very similar to like the Indo-European underworld in the sense that like, you know, it's sort of shades. Um, this is differentiated from a term called Gehenna, which is really a, the burning garbage dump. Mm -hmm. And that's what we think of as like actual hell. Yeah, when Jesus is talking about being cast into the fire, he's talking about Gehenna, the, yeah. the perpetual cast into the fire, destroy it. That yeah. was actually the the area that he's talking about is an actual geographical place, mm -hmm. and tradition says that it was it is a garbage dump because during one troublesome period of Jewish history, it was actually used for child sacrifice to the god Molech, and. Mm. Because of that, it was tainted, and it was not fit for anything except for a garbage dump. Ah. And that's how they got rid of trash, was by burning it. And so it was literally the place where the worm never dies and the fire never goes out. And so when Jesus is talking about, again, not to get too deep here, but he's talking about not being judgmental, not calling your brother or your neighbor, which if you hear him in other parts of the gospel is everybody, not calling him a fool, not calling him a moron, not calling him stupid, that if you judge your brother, even to that extent, that you don't belong with me, basically. You don't you don't run with my crew if that's how you're going to be. Um, you're in danger of going to the fire because you're going to have to, you're going to live in the garbage dump because no one's going to want to be around you. It's kind of the point he's really trying to get at. And so, yeah, Shale, uh, sorry, I went off on a tangent there, but back to Shale, because you, uh, you described it in a way that I, I had not heard it described before. Um, I'm also kind of, I guess, subconsciously not wanting to talk a whole lot about this game. <laughs> you and I have talked about the game before, and getting too deep into the details of this game would probably not fit the rating I've given this podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It's a really, really dark game. You and I were actually talking while I was playing about whether this would even count as satire, because it goes so far in just the morbidity and the disturbing nature of it. But it is to make a point about... Mm -hmm. The topic, which is toxic religion, um, which regardless of it? where you're from, my very limited understanding of it, it, it can be seen as a response to like toxic Christianity, basically, which which is a thing. Um, it's, uh, you know, I, I already labeled myself as a Christian, so obviously I believe that it's not all toxic, but I do believe like a lot of belief systems when it becomes us versus them, it can be. And there there is some of that, but from what you have told me, it goes beyond that. The game gets goes a lot of places. Yeah, taking it um, taking it back to the song, um, the reason why this is Shale and not Gehenna is because, really, it's kind of almost like the sort of text of the game is that you're going into Isaac's mind. Is It's not this judgmental fire from outside. It's this sort of inner isolation. And what's really interesting is this is parallel to the cathedral um, level in the cathedral track where you have Everlasting Hymn and in the same way, you have these sort of voices, but in that, it's just this sort of Gregorian chant. But my in my reading of the music, 
the sort of piano that follows you throughout the entire game is Isaac's voice. And mm. with this, it's this sort of shouting, this frantic, like, hissing noise. And then in Everlasting Hymn, the piano is drowned out by a sort of chorus and hymn. And it's kind of, it's really, even, like, it goes away from religion and becomes really just playing through a mental breakdown in video game form. You were actually talking to Capel about how, you know, uh, when the track was playing Prof Jeff, you were like, yeah, we can probably shut it down. The track just kind of loops. And you were talking about how when you compose, you like for things to be going on, but when there's too much going on... What, sorry, what did you say? Yeah, I just, I just kind of zone out. And I think that, to an extent, that may be kind of what the composers are trying to do here, is it's supposed to be this stage where you feel unsettled, and you either... You either have to engage and push through and get it done, or you do just kind of get hypnotized by this just hissing, industrial, dark, gothic nature of the track. And I'm going to take us in a very different direction. (laughs) (laughs) My track also features vocals, and this is from a game series that I've heard about quite a bit before, but never really looked into that much. Um, I was looking through a lot of different playlists, trying to kind of round out my tracks a little bit more. And I watched a, um, a Watch Mojo video about the top 10 fake religions made up for video games. Um, there was Ooh. a lot of stuff in there, but the one that, um, the song that really caught my eye is the religion um, called the Chantry of Andrazde, which is from the Dragon Age series. The song I'm going to be playing is The Dawn Will Come. This is from Dragon Age and Dragon Age Inquisition. Uh, Inquisition was multi-platform, developed by BioWare and published by Electronic Arts in 2014, and the composer was Trevor Morris. Again, this is The Dawn Will Come. That was The Dawn Will Come from Dragon Age and Dragon Age Inquisition. 
So, the Domukam is a chantry hymn sung by Mother Giselle to comfort the Inquisitor and inspire the Inquisition, which in this game is a good thing, <laughs> after leaving Haven before finding Skyhold. Those of you who have played Dragon Age and Dragon Age Inquisition, this will mean a lot more to you. Um, a couple of other characters join in, and then more join in until the whole Inquisition is joined in this hopeful song. Uh, the Inquisitor is a representative of the Chantry of Andrasde, who believe a god in a god called the Maker, very original, um, who spoke to a mortal woman named Andrasde, who spread his teachings while leading an oppressed people in a war for freedom against the Taventer Imperium. This is only the beginning of a long, twisted legend that is probably best experienced through the games themselves. But I wanted to include a hymn, because obviously hymns are a very important part of religious tradition, especially, well, I don't want to say anything, because I'm not the expert in the room. You are. Um, but, yeah, this whole idea of, like, shared singing, shared prayer, the sort of communal spiritual activity, um, I know that's that's a pretty big deal in a religious tradition. Mm -hmm. So, it's like a team-building activity, but spiritual. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um... You were talking about some uh, significance of the name Andrasde. Yeah, I was. I was just thinking, where did I hear that name before? And then I guessed it. So, Andraste is actually a goddess worshipped by Boudicca. The um, let's see, a British. She was in in Britain. I wouldn't. I don't know whether she's Celtic or Gaelic or whatever. I'm pretty sure she's Celtic. I think Celtic. that uh, Inya or Celtic woman. Somebody actually has a song about Boudicca that um, a friend of mine actually burnt on a CD for me back in college. Yeah, seems legit. She's yeah. a warrior princess goddess. Type. And so, yeah. She, yeah, and so she, so Boudicca worshipped a goddess named Andraste, and this was recorded by the Roman history Dio Cassius, which is really, which is really interesting because this is what I call an intersectional moment where you have sort of different religious motifs, like you have sort of Christian-y sounding religion with the hymns and the maker, and then you have this sort of Joan of Arc with like a really pronounced sort of pagan name that. Mm -hmm. Recalls, I think, you know, what, Balana or something, or like one of the sort of war goddesses yeah. current in that time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and so it's, it's always interesting. It's a way of reimagining our history and looking at it from a new lens. And so, yeah, video game religions are super interesting. And the song's nice, too. Well, and I know one of the things that you have looked into in your studies is sort of the, the difference between religions that um, follow a god, and religions that follow a goddess, and then religions that follow neither. Taoism, <laughs> um, uh, for example. The, the difference between like um, theology, theosophy, theodicy, things like that. I actually know what these terms mean now because mm -hmm. I've, I've talked to you. But, uh, Shukapau, do you have any thoughts about these last couple of songs? We haven't talked too much to you about them, and you seem to be zoning out a little bit. Yeah, explain, and, explain the meaning of life and the history of human culture, please. <laughs> <laughs> You're in class now, except this is a college class taught by a guy with three master's degrees. Are you ready? Well, we were talking about goddesses, and I think that you might have a track on your playlist that references one. Um, so why don't you play something for us that'll, that'll wake us up a little bit. All right. Um, I have The Ballad of the Goddess from The Legend of Zelda's Skyward Sword. Oh, nice! Oh, Zelda, you said? I, I haven't heard of this yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this was released in 2011 by Nintendo for the Wii, one of the best consoles in existence. Wii. And composed by Hajime Wakai. 
And that was Ballad of the Goddess. All right. Uh, before we get into the nitty gritty, <laughs> um, Chukapau, tell us a little bit more about this game. Um, I actually did quite a bit of digging on this, and BGMDB helps me out a lot with information about this track. Um, you can just read what I put down there. I know I usually like it to sound organic, but... All right. Um, this game is actually the first time that the names of the goddess is Din, Ferore, and Nehru are mentioned in the game as Baron, Elden, and Waneru, which are typically ascribed to religions. So, this full game was actually composed by Hajime Wakai, Shiho Fuji, Mahito Yokota, and Takeshi Hama. The four of them worked together and they each did like different parts of the soundtrack. And of course, a lot of the themes are based on original works by who? Kondo. Koji Kondo, yes. So, according to the Video Game Music Database, bgmdb.org, maybe .com, um, the VGMDB, Wakai composed the Ballad of the Goddess, and on a VGMDB thread, user Jormungand claimed that he spoke with Takeshi Hama via SoundCloud, and the Hama confirmed his contributions, most of which were for cutscenes, but he arranged and or orchestrated um, Wakai's Ballad of the Goddess three times. Once for the main theme from the trailer, once for Zelda's harp solo in the game, and Link's harp solo at the end, and also for a short version that appears in a later. This is actually the first time that the names of the goddesses Din, Feror, and Nehru are mentioned in the same game as Feron, Elden, and Lanehru, which are typically ascribed to regions in other Zelda games. Um, you've got the Elden region, uh, the Lanehru region, and the Feron region. They were first called that in Twilight Princess. I misread that twice. It also <laughs> referred to that in uh, Breath of the Wild in a lot of different places. But Din, Feror, and Nehru were first mentioned in Ocarina of Time, and they were the three goddesses that were like the three different parts of the Triforce. Since it was first introduced, the Triforce was three like golden triangles, one that represented power, that was uh, personified in Ganondorf, one that represented wisdom, that was personified in Zelda, and one that represented courage, which was personified in Link. Um, Feror was the goddess of courage, also the goddess of like nature and wind. Nehru was the goddess of wisdom, also the goddess of water and of uh, human life, I believe, or Hylian life. And Din was the goddess of power, also the goddess of, like, the earth and fire elements. It doesn't get too deep into, like, the different regions that worship the different gods and or goddesses, but the Zora typically are related to Nehru. The um, Kokiri, or the Koroks, are typically related or connected with Feror. And the Gerudo, and also the Gorons, are often um, connected with Din. Hylia is a goddess first introduced in Skyward Sword. I actually don't remember how the Zelda religion went from Hylia to the three goddesses, but I think that the Triforce was actually created in Skyward Sword. It's like the origin story of everything. It's the earliest mm. Zelda game. Um, and so I think, possibly, that when the Triforce came to exist, the three goddesses were almost like split versions of... They were almost like a trinity version of the original goddess, Hylia. And... Without getting too deep into it, I, I know that uh, the idea of a Trinitarian religion that Christianity sort of originally grew out of a monotheistic religion, Judaism, and that is something that I believe is echoed in some other religions as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I have a little bit of an Easter egg 
for y'all. I actually showed you this the other night, Shukapow. Prof Jeff, this is your first time hearing it. The Ballad of the Goddess is based on another song. Based pretty heavily on another song, actually. But not in the way that you would normally think. I'm going to open it up here. What I'm going to do is I'm going to play the Ballad of the Goddess. Just that first, that opening phrase. And then I am going to play the same theme, but reversed in Audacity. And now the same theme in reverse. I was making shocked faces like my cat makes whenever I like fire a gun around him or something. <laughs> um, yeah, so <laughs> no doctoring, no tweaking of anything. I just I played the song and then I cut it and used the reverse effect in Audacity. That is literally just the music played backwards. Um, yeah, which of course is Zelda's Lullaby from Ocarina of Time. Um, this is fairly common knowledge in the VGM community. It is not super common knowledge outside of it. So I wanted to get like a real live reaction to somebody hearing that for the first time. I'm like really, I'm really impressed, especially like that the song works well both ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also Same that here. like music backwards is supposed to be like scary and evil, and it's just really, <laughs> it sounds like really sweet and beautiful and epic both ways. Yeah, so that's really quite, um, that's quite an achievement. That is why Koji Kondo is always looked up to as just like this pinnacle of video game composition greatness. Um, now I want to hear more songs in reverse. <laughs> now you want to hear more songs in reverse? See if any of them actually sound good. Yeah, Stairway <laughs> to Heaven and all that. <laughs> yeah, so, well, we can talk for uh, about 30 seconds. W what is playing songs in reverse? How does that tie into uh, religion? Well... According to some old descriptions of the Black Masses, um, you're supposed to... I've heard that you're supposed to sing certain hymns in reverse um, while you have, like, the candles of the fat of undactized babies um, and the full moon, and I can't really explain more than that well, now, can I? dark stuff, yeah. <laughs> but, like, so some backwards... The Black Masses, is that, like, a like a, a satanic thing or just a... Basically, yes. This was during the, this was during the witch trials, and so the understanding that... Like, the word witch means something different than it does now. Mm -hmm. And so this was people who had signed contracts with the devils and had powers and were also imbued with sort of non-human Dracula-like qualities. So this idea of, like, backwards sacred music yeah. uh, as, like, a reversal of the holiness. Yeah. To make it holy. Okay. And that's a pretty easy, like, that's, like, I mean, for example, for example, St. John didn't want to be one of the Johns. Like, there's lots of them. He didn't want to be crucified the same way of Christ who so was hung upside down. But now you have, like... Peter, yes, yeah. thank you. That, uh, my bad. So he was hung upside down. Oof. Yeah, 
Right? Yeah. And then, and then, of course, you know, you have goths who, like, wear crosses upside down, which is for slightly different reasons. Because, <laughs> yeah. Slightly, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have, or or they could be Christian goths who like St. Peter. That's also another thing you never know. That's very true. Um, but then, because, you know, I mean, they could they could find a way to sort of reconcile those two cultures within themselves, which is, you know. But yeah, it is nice that with this particular song, when you play it backward, it's actually... Um, Still a nice track. Yeah, there was yeah there was like a I think it was like on a on a Slipknot album they had this like maybe they had a shirt it's like worse backwards or worse forwards than backwards is that it's like that hardcore. So what um I'm gonna assume forward playing music do you have for us? Oh yeah, actually I wanted to do something that's really hardcore. Um, just because we talked about waking up and getting things in a bit more lively, um, a lively jaunt. Um, and I decided, uh, following the earlier trend, I'm going to have yet another song about hell. But this <laughs> one is from 2020's Doom Eternal. This is um, composed by Nick Gordon, and it's multi-platform id software, Bethesda Softworks. And it is, I'll explain the title later, The Only Thing They Fear Is You. This track, <laughs> this woke me up for sure. Um, so, what have you heard about Doom Eternal? What? Uh, oh, you said you were going to talk about this track. Yeah, the meaning of it. I mean, it's also fun. I was because I mean, since my main training is in um, reading poetry that was written in Sanskrit two thousand years ago, um, I actually I think about the words and the songs and the titles and the game titles and the sort of like story more than the instrumentation because that's what you know. If you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail, as they say. And what was really interesting is Doom Eternal, you know, it's like Batman Forever in the sense that, you know, it's a you know franchise capstone. It's supposed to be a big step forward. But Doom Eternal is also a reference to damnation. <laughs> and, you know, the question of whether, 
your it's your doom eternal, the doom eternal of those demons who decided to mess with you. Oh my or gosh. whether it's humanity's doom eternal if you screw it up. I never put that together. I don't know if I just hadn't thought about it that deep or like I knew that in this game eventually they actually like like heaven comes mm-hmm. into the picture. And I thought that was where the eternal came from, but no, like Doom Eternal as eternal doom or damnation. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. And um, what's even what's even more interesting is the only thing they fear is you. So this the little um like the little riff in that background of the sort of more computery beats, those are based off of um, the original composition at Doom's Gate from Bobby Prince. Mm-hmm. Um, I listened to it and it reminded me I swore I heard it before and I realized that it sounded a bit too much to me like Master of Puppets from Metallica, the intro. Yeah. A lot of the songs in Doom um, are based on, on those bands. One of the songs that we actually played back in episode four, Intermission mm-hmm. from Doom, for our Victory Themes episode, is based on a Pantera track. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of that stuff. That makes there. sense. And, yeah, and so, like, then that one, and then the At Doom's Gate from 2016 Doom by Mick Gordon when he took over, um, it also sounds good, but it didn't redefine the track in the way that the only thing they fear is you. This is, yeah, this is Doom Ground yeah. that Mick Gordon is covering now. Which may be why, Chukapal, you made an observation about the videos, because we originally watched this on YouTube. Um, you were talking about in a lot of videos, well, what was it that you said? Um, well, I just said that this video has um, a different like-to-dislike ratio. There's a lot more likes in proportion to the dislikes. And there are still uh, 810 dislikes on this particular video, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to the 121,000 likes but if there are more than 810 dislikes on the other videos, that means this is maybe a little bit polarizing for some fans. And I don't really know why, but again, that's that's a really small percentage. Yeah. 800 out of 120,000. It's, it's, <laughs> it's less than 1% if I know my... Wait. Yeah. Well, let's, 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 not, let's not check my math. Please don't. I'm a VGM <laughs> expert. You're a religion expert. Yeah. My son is 14. Don't don't yeah. check us. But I, I was I was just don't thinking of the, what's, <laughs> what's interesting is the original like the sort of bass track is at Doomsgate, which I take as a reference to Dante because you're fighting demons in space, but mm-hmm. also branding a game called Doom that's going to redefine the cultural landscape. So abandon all hope, ye who enter here, and all that business. Yeah. But then they replace it with a sort of riff on a Roosevelt quote: "The only thing we have to fear is fear itself." You are fear itself in this game, and this is also I think. Part of it takes place on planet Phobos, and Phobos just means fear in Greek, but he's also a demigod and friends with Kratos. Which, little thing here, uh, Phobos actually isn't a planet, it's a moon. One of the moons of planet, Mars. It's a planetoid, it's like a round, planetoid. it's a round rock, like, floating in space. I, in, in the sense that, I guess, our moon is also a planetoid, but it does orbit yeah, a planet. So that is fair. That also makes it a moon. Uh, Phobos, of course, in Greek, is um, one of the sons of Mars, or Ares. And Demos is his brother, another offspring of Mars, and also the other moon of, or offspring of Ares, and the other moon of Mars. Uh, Demos means despair? Oh, panic, I thought. Panic, okay. I haven't Googled it. Um, and you mentioned, though, that uh, Phobos is a friend of who? Kratos. Kratos, mm-hmm. which is not quite the same as Kratos, who we played a song Kratos from Kratos is how you pronounce it in actual Greek, though. Okay. It's like Kratos. Cool. So Phobos and Kratos or Kratos are mm-hmm. friends in Greek mythology. What is the story of Kratos? So that's the thing is he was an extremely minor deity. Um, is that you would have because a lot of the ancient Proto-Indo-European 
languages don't have proper nouns or capitalization, you would say, oh, there's Ares again, followed by war, in the sense that he makes everyone mad wherever he goes. But uh, okay. then... You could say followed by his buddy, capital war, as in like war, as in like, like his personification. Yeah, of, okay. As a dude who's like carrying his coffee behind him. Okay. You know? And gotcha. so that's that's like how that works. And so you have a lot of like abstract qualities just becoming nouns and people. So Kratos is like a lesser god of war. Yeah. Kind of. Oh, which would also be why Kratos and God of War is. Kratos. Yeah. Okay. But um, God of Kratos. I think we're actually going to go out of order because this serves as a nice segue for what I know is one of my son's last tracks. I think, listeners, what we're going to have for you to round out this night's in these last two rounds is one more round of rocking tracks and then one round of more sedate tracks before we finish the night with a big number that many of you are going to recognize. What do you have for us next, Shukpa? All right, I have more Tales of Symphonia. <laughs> And one that's uh, a song that, if I'm not mistaken, has something to do with Kratos. Yes, this is actually the track that plays, well, if you beat the Kratos fight that we talked about back in, way back in episode two. Mm -hmm. Kratos Um, Orion, that's how you know that he's like based on Greek, because it's like Orion. Ah, so yeah, um, this plays when you fight uh, Mythos Yggdrasil, spoilers a little bit. Which isn't the world tree. We already covered that. It's mm-hmm. a whole totally different thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the sort of leader of the Crucius Angels, I guess, or something. So it's sort of like the Arch- Archangel. Yeah. Okay. And this is also He's the Michael. <laughs> yeah, like one of the one of the final bosses or something. Um, and and it... you actually fight him once if you beat the Kratos fight. And this is the track that plays when you fight him. This is Beat the Angel. Beat the Angel from Tales of Symphonia. Somehow I knew we wouldn't get away without another Sakuraba track. <laughs> At least. Um, uh, in 2003, for the GameCube and PlayStation 2, by Namco, and composed by Motoi Sakuraba. Well, that was good stuff. 
I was uh, talking when we first got into the track about how it, it really felt epic. It's almost like a wow, I got in over my head sort of thing. So, is this like a hard fight? Yes. <laughs> you could say that. <laughs> so, like, what what happens if you beat Kratos at this like pivotal moment when you're not really supposed to win? Well, there's a you, there's a cutscene that plays, and then um, and then this Yggdrasil yeah shows up. Yeah, and then you fight him, and uh, yeah, the battle like automatically ends after one minute, regardless. So okay, so you you cannot win this fight unless you're like super level or use some. Okay. I haven't uh, seen on forums or anything uh, any sort of talk of anyone actually beating this fight. <laughs> so <laughs> okay, what did you think of it? I liked it. I liked the sort of the dynamism of it. I loved how it was had a kind of you know grand sweeping soundtrack, but it had energy behind it. Yeah. And you guys were talking about the time signature at it at, while it was going. And like yeah, we were talking about whether it's like. Uh, Three, four, six, eight. Which I think it's six, eight, based on how the the rhythm is like. It's got the emphasis on yeah. the first beat, whereas three, four is like. The emphasis is on the first and the fourth. Yeah, and it made, made me think of yeah. Shooty's early comment about um, how much you need going on in a track. Um, we were talking about like shale track is that it's in your face and like you're traumatized and you're about to about to die because it's a hard level. But with this, it's like. It's energizing you sort of subliminally, like behind the scene, is that it expresses something very clearly and vividly, but it does it sort of because it's sort of smooth and orchestral, it sort of goes under the surface of the gameplay, and that it's not supposed to be jarring or dissonant, is that it's just like perfectly in harmony with what's going on. Sakharov is really good at doing something that's intense, but also not like it doesn't weigh you down. Uh, You actually mentioned while we were listening that uh, you. I want to play this game now after yeah. hearing uh, she talk about it so much. Hashtag Lloyd Irving and Smash. Yes. <laughs> well, I am going to tip the scales a little bit. Um, and I'm going to play my tip the scales. Thoron. Oh, yeah, but Robin's already in Smash. Robin! <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to play my last two songs back to back. And we'll talk a little bit about why um, after we come back from them. So both of these are from the Super NES. Both were published by Enix and developed by Quintet. The first is from Soul Blazer. It is called God's Shrine, uh, or also the, the Shrine of the Master. This was composed by Yukihide Takehawa. The second track is from Act Razor, composed by the amazing Yuzo Kashiro, mm-hmm. and the name of the track is Sacrifices. So first, here is the Shrine of the Master.
that definitely started in one place and finished in a very different place. I I love the organ in that first track from Soul Blazer, uh, the Shrine of the Master. It was so it was so authentic. Like I went to school with some organ majors, and that is what really good organ playing sounds like. The second one is a lot more somber, which is kind of fitting for a song called Sacrifices. Of course, sacrifice is a big thing in pretty much any religion I can think of. Um, sacrifice is like a... Yeah, is, pretty much. Um, almost always as like a method of appeasing the gods. And, yeah. Um, which is the case in Act Razor when this track plays. So, I know next to nothing about Soul Blazer. Um, the podcast Rock Out With Your Card Out actually recently did a three-part sort of showcase of Soul Blazer, uh, Illusion of Gaia, and Terranigma, which are kind of a loose trilogy all on the SNES. Um, and of course, Illusion of Gaia references Gaia, the nature spirit, or nature goddess. Um, and uh, the Soul Blazer is, I believe, a sacred sword. Um, but the reason that I've tied these two together is because in both games, God is referenced as the Master. And I do think that Actraiser, I've heard this a place or two before, that it's almost like a soft prequel to the Soul Blazer, like something that might have happened in the ancient past. They rhyme. Um, they do rhyme. <laughs> and they have the same number of syllables, too. But Actraiser, you play God, if you don't know anything about this game, which, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably do. But it's, it's a really, really cool game because it's like half city-building sim and half side-scrolling action game. But the city-building sim part actually gets into a lot of different nuance about religion. You play the master, who in Japan actually is the Judeo-Christian god. Um, the ultimate enemy in Japan is Satan. In the West, it's Tanzra. And all of the enemies in the game are pulled from either mythology or religion, usually Eastern religion, um, all of the bosses in the game. But you go through different uh, different things where you get the different areas that you build up to like trade with each other. But in this particular song, it plays in, I believe, the town of Bloodpool, when one of the people is chosen by a random draw and, and a death lottery to be a sacrifice. And I don't remember how this is handled in the game, is if it's like something that you do like ask for, it's something that you want, or if it's something that they misinterpret that you don't really want. Um, but one of the interesting things that the Actraiser brings up is at the end of the game, there's no need for you to go back to Earth. That everything is good, everything is fine, and your little angel buddy who's been doing all the city building for you actually says, well, I mean, they don't need you anymore. It kind of evolved past the need for God. Which yes. is, yeah, which was kind of a, you know, big thing. If Actraiser had been a bigger deal when it came out in 1990, then that might have raised more eyebrows over here. But especially when they realized that this was the actual, quote-unquote, actual god, you know, for a lot of Americans that they were talking about in the game. Um, but no, but the music, regardless, is really good. Yuzo Kashiro, of course, is great. I don't know a whole lot about Yukihide Takehawa. This was his only video game credit. But he has done film and anime before, such as Supernova Flashman, uh, The Wonderful Adventures of Nils. The game is, uh, I already mentioned, it's an unofficial trilogy with the other ones. But regardless, um, both are songs that I'm, I'm happy to close out. That's going to do it for me for tonight. Uh, Prop Jeff, let's go ahead and move to your last selection of the evening. Yeah, I wanted to end with something a bit more chill on my end. I was going to actually have Acceptance, the death theme from Binding of Isaac Rebirth, which is very good, and I, it's a 
sort of breakout track that I didn't really know how much of a great track it was until I listened to the soundtrack. But even more than that, um, something that was unexpected was the Water Temple Water Stage song in Legend of Zelda Triforce Heroes. Um, since it's a last minute pick, I do not have the info right now, and we can edit it in later or something. <laughs> but yep. um, that's all right. Well, so Triforce Heroes, I don't know a whole lot about. Um, I've mentioned on here before that Zelda is my favorite series. Um, I, I might have heard something about that. Yeah, I haven't heard a lot about Triforce Heroes, um, and I don't know a lot about the music either. But yeah, we can look it up while we're listening, and when we come back, we'll mm-hmm. we'll fill you guys in. That was the Water Temple song from Triforce Heroes, and we now know that was published in 2015 by Nintendo um, for the 3DS, and this particular track was composed by Ryo Nagamatsu. And it actually, part of it, it reminds me of being sort of thematically similar to Mystic Ruin that we opened up on, because with Mystic Ruin, you have this Mystic Ruin, but in terms of like the actual temples, you have like a Wind Temple, a Water Temple... And you also have the Temple of the Chaos Emerald, like the Master Emerald. Um, and I could go on this like nerdy rant about how the vocals seem... Almost like a shrine for the worship of chaos. <laughs> oh, gasp! Crossover. <laughs> That'd be cool. No, I was thinking that was kind of interesting that with Mystic Ruin you had the, the vocals sounded kind of African, but the architecture actually looks more like Mesoamerican. Mm-hmm. But with this one, it's, you know, it's really interesting that you have like temples that are also, you know, based on the elements that they're temples that actually have the physical form of what they worship inside of them, mm-hmm. which is difficult if you're worshiping like Athena, <laughs> for example. Right. Um, and I just really, you had, I had this experience listening to this track, just finding it on YouTube and thinking of, you know, the little bubbly sound in the background, um, reminding me not just of Final Fantasy, but also water droplets. And then the violin coming in like little shafts of sunlight. Yeah, the violin and really the feels the show. Sort of sweeping yeah. swells of strings like wind. And, you know, in a certain way of thinking, that's kind of what religion is all about. You know, is this sort of majesty and this beauty, you know, yeah. just oozing out from the universe and taking everyone by surprise. 
I can't I can't end on a less dramatic note than that. No, that's a really cool way to finish. And I also like that you started out tonight by saying you were going to talk as much about the music, and yet you just painted this like beautiful picture of what the music is evoking here. Well, um, I was talking but, about the music itself. Like that's yeah, what it is to me. You know? It is. Yeah, that, that's 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 what it's all about. That's why that's why we play very good music on this show to show you that. Even in video games, you can have these uh, these pieces that just really resonate with you. Whether it's the Ballad of the Goddess for Shu Kapow, I think for me the song of the night was the Shrine of the Master from Soul Blazer. Um, and uh, what about you? What, what's been your favorite so far for the evening? Why do you think about that? It is interesting to me because I never thought about it. How in the Zelda games are these temples called what they're called because of where they are, or is this actually like a temple that exists? to like exalt water as as a concept uh, because water is associated with Nehru so is this just one of Nehru's temples or is it actually a temple built to like worship water interesting I mean it's just game design but yeah from a thematic standpoint yeah. also yeah linguistics like water temple what does that mean like the temple for the worship of water is the, the temple that's like kind of damp <laughs> <laughs> moist temple <laughs> moist that's yeah it's like, yeah right not gonna make a joke about that. Moist on the podcast. Moist. <laughs> yeah, that's that's like that's yeah. I'm not gonna make any soggy jokes. church. Soggy monster church. cake. Monster it's cake. moist. <laughs> so, have you decided on a favorite track yet? No. That's all right. <laughs> that's all right. They were all really good. They were all. What are they all? Shoot Kapow? Very good music. <laughs> Every episode has to happen at least once. And Tales of Symphonia. And Tales of Symphonia. And apparently Chrono Trigger, except not this time. But anyway. All right, what have you got for us for your last song of the night? All right, I'm closing out with The Resting Grounds from Hollow Knight. I think we could all use a rest after this uh, this extra long episode. Hey, Pilgrimage. This game was uh, released for multiple platforms by Team Cherry in 2017 and composed by Christopher Larkin. Grounds from Hollow Knight. Um, a bit of background on this area, actually. Um, from the hollowknight.fandom.com. The Resting Grounds is a large cemetery at the east end of Hollow Nest, filled with graves and ornate tombstones. The knight can first enter this area from Crystal Peak, the Forgotten Crossroads, or the City of Tears. I personally entered it from Crystal Peak after finding a pit and jumping into it. I did as well. <laughs> and... 
here they find the monument to and are given the location of the Dreamers, which are sort of the old gods from before the night. Night actually kind of. Yeah. Um, and they also received the dream nail. After this, the knight wakes up in the house of the seer, the last of the moth tribe, um, who gives lore of the area and prompts the knight to begin collecting essence. Um, before the knight receives the dream nail, the resting grounds are a gray, empty, and relatively colorless area. However, after obtaining the dream nail, the resting grounds transform into an area with a lively blue color tone and ghostly spirits floating through the background and foreground. This was very pretty track. Yes. Piano is super nice. Larkin is really good at that evocative Agreed. piano. Um, Sears, something we haven't really talked about much tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's yet another yeah. aspect. I always get my appliances from Sears. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about like the history of uh, Sears in mythology and religion? Um. Yeah, there's... I mean, really, no, because it's a big thing. I mean, it's yeah. sort of like with sacrifice. A lot of, sa- like a lot of things that we think of are sacrifice were things you just had to do while hunting for food, or otherwise the gods would get mad, mm-hmm. and like the spirit of that deer you can't killed would come back to you. So you'd have to like sort of sacrifice part of the, you know, nutrients to the deer spirits so that they wouldn't, you know, so you wouldn't be, be able to eat them without having a vendetta against them. Yeah. These are very practical problems when you're out in the field. <laughs> Right. Um, I definitely do this every time I, I, I don't hunt deer. That's a joke. Um, <laughs> but so, but a seer, it, it, in essence, you know, it's very valued in religious communities historically. When you have someone who can see the world beyond that everyone sort of senses but can't see. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is a seer is like a conduit to the divine. Yeah. Um, in a more modern context, you might have something like a priest or a shaman or some kind of holy man, but they all serve sort of the same function. They're the, the go-between. Well, priests are slightly different because they generally don't... Like, a priest would have to witness a miracle in order to actually be a seer. That would be closer to being a prophet. A prophet. I'm being pedantic, sorry. Well, yeah, but I mean, in, for example, in the Mormon church, their leaders a lot of times are called prophets. Well, that's because they are actual prophets, um, and according to the... According to Mormon tradition, yeah. Um, and But yeah, you're right. In the Jewish tradition, they do sort of differentiate. That's why it was so important thematically for Jesus to be prophet, priest, and king, because all three of those had very different importances in, in the Jewish tradition. Yes, definitely. And then they all kind of got lumped together and then split apart in the uh, the Reformation and the Protestant tradition. And well, in the Christian tradition, Protestant, Catholic, Catholic or um, Orthodox. So, but yeah, we had to end on one last, uh, last um, sort of religious rant, <laughs> so to speak. But yeah. man, this was a nice track and um, it yeah. would be a nice, pl- nice way to end. But I did tell our guest, Prof Jeff, that he could pick our closeout for the night as well. Mm-hmm. And he definitely picked one that I think all of you are going to know very well. I'm not even going to list all of the information. I'm just going to kind of rattle off what I know. This game came out in 1997, uh, published by Square, composed by Nobuo Uematsu. This game was originally released for the PlayStation 1 and has since been ported to a lot of different stuff. And actually, this year is being remade. A couple of the games we're talking about, Doom Eternal actually comes out this coming Friday, as we record, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time you hear this, it will have been out for several months, and now we'll know how everybody feels about it. And the demo for the Final Fantasy VII Remake just dropped in the last couple of weeks, and the game itself will have been out for a while once this episode airs. So I am, of course, going to be playing from Final Fantasy VII, 
one-winged angel. Before we go, uh, Prof. Jeff, tell us a little bit about the significance of the term Sephiroth. Yeah, well, it's really fascinating. So Sephiroth means lights in the plural. Um, one light is called a Sephiroth. And this is a special term in medieval Jewish philosophy where you had different ways of sort of understanding God. I'm actually reading a book called Kabbalah by Gershom Sholem, if anyone's interested in like understanding the true nature of God according to medieval philosophers. And no, I don't understand anything there. Um, you'll have to have... <laughs> you'll have why to be, he's reading the book. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to become a seer yourself and go on a magical odyssey to find things that I don't actually know. But um, according to the book, at least, you have you can imagine God is infinite, but in the, this Jewish tradition of Kabbalah, you can also imagine God as a series of ten lights um, of his aspects. And of course, theologians argue about whether it's like parts of God's anatomy or like stages of God's descent into earth. But Sephiroth is the sort of collective of these spheres. And it's interesting because, of course, he's a bad guy. And the song One Winged Angel is like sometimes wings are indicative of rank among angels. Like there was, for example, in the Book of Enoch, there's a story about an angel who had 12 wings while everyone else only had six wings. And he was really Uh. uppity about it. But then he got his wings cut off for his arrogance or something. Um, and so one is really interesting because it could be a very low ranking number or it could be the highest number. It could represent unity. And of course, like an ace in a deck of cards. Basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, especially if you look at any religious tradition, a lot of times numbers are important. That's yeah. the whole thing. But and then the other interesting is that Sephiroth's rival is Cloud, which could just be about clouds, but it could also be a reference to what's known as the infinite, the Ein Sof, which is surrounded by a cloud of unknowing. And there's this idea of like God being shrouded in the mystic tradition. Yeah, of God being like shrouded in mist in this sort of cloud of unknowing. And so it could be it has sort of theological symbols behind it. But whether the person is drawing on these symbols because they're cool, or whether there's a secret esoteric meaning coded into the Final Fantasy series, (laughs) I'll leave that for you to decide. Oh, man. The Final Fantasy series would be almost impossible, I think, to decode on that kind of level. Um, I mean, people talk about stuff like Kingdom Hearts all the time and how, how impenetrable it is. But really, if you look at the Final Fantasy VII games as a whole, there's a bunch of weird crap going on there. Game Theory did a nice episode on it. Game Theory has a lot of great episodes out there. Um, and uh, Chukapau, what do you know about this track, about anything to do with Final Fantasy VII? Uematsu. Uematsu. Uematsu young man. Apparently uh, there's a lot of mini-games. Yep. Chocobo, Chocobo. Bad again, bad again, bad again. Parental Floss, who did the Final Fantasy VII theme that we're talking about right now, actually also did a um, sort of a subtitled lyric video for One Winged Angel. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. I can't describe it. It'll ruin everything, but it's wonderful. Um, I am not going to play this song in its entirety. I actually think I told one of my uh, friends online that I would never do that on this show because it's really, really long. Most of you have heard it before anyway, but I really can't think of a better track to close out our religious themes episode on than One Winged Angel from Final Fantasy VII. Uh, You know where to find us. Prof Jeff, is there anywhere where you would like to tell people to find you? Oh, no, not yet. But I would say that you can also look at the Latin translation of the, of the lyrics where they talk about fate being like massive and immense or inane. And it's, yeah, it's really cool. interesting and that they're actually like chanting things yeah, while they're if singing. If I can find one of those, I'll put that in the show notes but, yeah, as well. Yeah, totally. Cool. It's, it's cool. All right. Well, you all know it's where experience. to find us. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.
play very good games, be very good people, and keep listening to Very Good Music. We'll see you next time. It's, 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 it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I can be sarcastic, too. <laughs> Alright. And... Um... Where is it? Oh, right. Okay, um... It's on your computer because I didn't put that uh, Dang it. Um, this is like 30 seconds worth of blooper reel material right here. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy the blooper reel, guys. Computer sounds. Gosh dang it. Beep, boop, beep, boop. For your first track of the evening. Hi hats. Hi hats. Okay. And composed by Shogo Sakai. Brilliant. That's actually right. more chaotic than the other one. <laughs> so, uh, that was hi hats. Uh, Prof, you have plenty of. Okay. <laughs> what are you going to play for us? Binding of Isaac Rebirth. Shale and how it's like very cluttered and um okay that's gonna be bad for the mic. <laughs> that's alright. <laughs> Sorry. This mic is beaten up tonight. I actually had it super hot earlier and didn't realize it. That's where yeah. all that extra noise was coming from. So it's better now. It's In- interesting, okay. yeah. Well I shouldn't have done that. Anyways. But like this this is does a really good check like with this sh- but I was thinking that oops I lost my thought. Sorry. Uh, it's uh Al- Alucard. Alucard. <laughs> In essence. 
Because um, he's collecting essence. Yeah. Anyway, um, I need more essence. Please, <laughs> you, you see things, and you see things that people don't otherwise see, and that's like something that the rest of a bonfire. <laughs> I'm not sure how to respond to that. Praise the sun! <laughs> oh, okay. So, this game came out in 1977. It was... 1997, maybe? 1997, for sure. Uh, 1997. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um. <coughs> <laughs> Are you sure that you're not sick? <laughs> okay. Um. He's a thirsty boy. <laughs> He's 14, it's normal. Boy